Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about curiosity and studio culture. Today on the show, I am joined by Jeannie Gang. Jeannie is the founding principal and partner of the architecture firm Studio Gang and is a professor of practice at the Harvard Graduate School of Design. At Studio Gang, Jeannie works on projects that range from books and publications through exhibitions and civic buildings all the way up to skyscrapers and urban plans. The thread that connects this work is Jeannie's belief in what she calls actionable idealism or this idea that they need to be both pragmatic and idealistic in all of the work that they take on. This is driven by the studio's deep belief in the importance of research, curiosity, and exploration at every stage of the process, from idea development to formal and material exploration. And this is what we spend a lot of time talking about in this conversation. We talk about the role of research in the design process and how they developed a studio culture that attempts to sort of flatten hierarchies and empowers everyone at the studio at all levels to be curious, to bring ideas, and to be engaged in the world. We also talk about how this connects to her work in the classroom and the expanding definitions of architecture and how that influences the studio. Studio's output. This was a great conversation. I really appreciated Jeannie's thoughtfulness, and it was so nice to hear about how these ideas really truly manifest themselves in a studio culture and in a studio environment. Don't forget, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listener support. If you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. These memberships truly help keep the podcast going. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I think of as the director's commentary for the show. It includes reflections on the episodes, previews of upcoming episodes, as well as other bonus content and interviews and links. If you want to help the show, if you want to see it continue, I hope you consider becoming a member. All you have to do is visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members to get all the details and sign up. Thanks again for listening. And here is my conversation with Jeannie Gang. this conversation actually talking about something that I've heard you talk about quite a bit, uh, which is this idea of kind of how you define your work as actionable idealism. Uh, I've heard you talk about this in lectures. It's actually the first two words in your intro in the new monograph. Uh, Can you talk about what actionable idealism means and how you think about that uh, in the studio? Yeah, I, I was, um, you know, it, it. you're always trying to, as a, as a person who's creative and working with other creative people, um, trying to define what it is that you do that is what drives you, what is interesting, what makes you tick. And um, I think there's different categories of that. For example, I know I like to work with organizations that you know, like for our projects, organizations that are kind of looking for design to help them create a new, a new part of their future, like, you know, a change, for example. And so that kind of describes like the type of projects we do, but then there are these, there are just these curiosities and these, um, this level of care about our, our own shared environment and, so sometimes the projects maybe aren't always from a client and they really generate from within the studio 
um, or within my brain and then share with people the studio. And then we talk about how we can do something with design to make something change or, or be enhanced or, you know, or just transformed. Um, and so after I started noticing this pattern with what we do when we do that, it, it really, I, to describe it, I really just needed to boil it down. And it it comes out with these two terms that seem like they are contradicting each other. Because yeah. when you're actionable, right? They're actionable, you're kind of like pragmatic maybe, or um, mm -hmm. um, a doer. And then you have idealism, which is you think of lofty um, ideals and things that are unrealistic, but it really is the two coming together. You need, you need to imagine what and use your imagination and then think about what could be and what you want to see. And But then I get a big thrill out of making progress toward that and not mm -hmm. letting it sit on paper. So that's how the two terms came together. And it, it really does describe, you know, how I think my, um, my motivation for doing design. And I would say that extends to my colleagues that I work with at Studio Gang. Um, we all really enjoy that. And um, we're always looking for those things that we can like make happen. Does that, I mean, it must manifest itself differently, but I'm, I'm interested in you know, if it's a project that comes out of your brain, like you said, versus a client project, and your client projects range from, uh, you know, kind of cultural institutions, small kind of civic buildings to skyscrapers and, and you know, urban planning, essentially. Uh, does that idea of actionable idealism, is that there from the beginning, kind of of how you decide what project you're going to take on? Are there projects that are just you know, intellectually or creatively interesting to you. And then this kind of, you know, how can we make progress on it? Kind of you find a way into it. Where does that actually fit into the the client work as opposed to these kind of projects that you're self-generating? Well, I think a lot of the clients that, that we work with, they might also have the same mm. you know, mindset and they are, um, you know, in their realm, whatever, if it's an arts or cultural organization, um, they're trying to, you know, work on something, change it, improve it. Um, and they, they, they would see that design is like helps, helps facil facilitate that. And so um, I'm drawn to those kinds of people, I think, and, and mm. the projects um, and they might be drawn to me, but, but usually, you know, there's, there's that core, aspect of the project, like really what is the program and how can we make that really work for that client? But there's also other um, narratives swirling around that are when you put anything into the world, it, it, it has an impact. So um, oftentimes I just like to think about and to articulate um, what are those other issues that are put into play. Um, so I, I would call that problematizing, you know, the project. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it might not be central in the beginning or it might it might come into play at different times, but it is a really, it is important for me to know why this project is going to be existing and what the potential of it is. So yes, for both the, 
the private projects, the projects that we do with organizations or individuals, as well as these projects that are maybe pulling together threads that are that are not necessarily um, architectural projects, but but thinking of how architecture can intersect with those. I mean, I've heard you talk before about how you often think about architecture as a medium. Uh, it's a medium that you can kind of explore these things that you're interested in or talk about, you know, broader cultural or societal issues. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, like, how, how when is it different? For, is it different at all with, if it's something that is self-generated from the studio that may or may not be a, a building uh, versus a, a client? How do you think about talking about these larger issues? Do you know what I mean? To, is, yeah, is that... I think I know what you mean. I think like, you know, the, the student and I was giving a talk in Spain one time and the student raised her hand and they said, um, you know, that AI is coming and, um, you know, anyone can generate architecture without architects. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I said, you know, I think it, it would, I would still be an architect if there were no projects, right? Because that's the way Mm. that I, that's my medium, as you say, to, express myself or I should say ourselves that's our meeting that we use to make projects on the world and that's built um, form is the way that we can impact the world as architects so that that's so even if there were no clients I would probably still be I mean if if robots came and did all of the architecture <laughs> I couldn't get out of the fact that I'm still an architect and I would still be designing things for the world that's just that's just what i do so i think right um, yeah it's, i don't know if it answers it exactly but <laughs> yeah i mean there's always that there's always that student that says something like well ai is going to do it. it's the same thing in graphic design it's it's you know oh you know code can just make these layouts now but there's still something you know there's still something about you know why we have to do this it reminds me of another uh uh, thing that you talk about in in the the newish book, I guess we should say now, it, it came out at the end of 2020, where you, you're kind of talking about these changing definitions of architecture, actually. And, and you, you, you write um, that this type of work that you're doing, this actionable idealism, also demands that we engage in a range of architectural pursuits that include, but are not limited to, the design of new buildings. And I think that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious, I think the fact that you said architectural pursuits um, that are not limited to new buildings suggests that architecture doesn't just need to be about building, that it could be, as the studio does, publications, research projects. Do you see all of that as an architectural project? Um, yes, I would say that, that that is the, and it overlaps, of course, with things that you do as, you know, mm-hmm. a graphic designer or things that others do but those to me are the expanded but I also meant by that statement that things don't have to be new I mean mm-hmm. there's invention that can happen to buildings that are already there or um, and that's a really important part about going forward to realize that reusing and transforming and re- reinventing things is going to be 
um, more and more crucial as we have to start limiting our carbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the carbon is spent on, you know, totally new ground up things. So, so um, a lot of the research that I have been doing through the GSD at um, Harvard mm-hmm. School of Design has been focused on um, every project is focused on reusing something it, but and in different ways, you know, like that it could be that it's completely um, reinvented. It, it, it might be a, a respectful, you know, kind of incisions and very precise um, modifications. Um, but how can we just, you know, make those things last longer? I mean, if you look at other cultures, the, there is a constant reuse of buildings and yeah. we've been just throwing them away, um, tearing them down, and yeah. um, you know, in, in at a rate that I I always was suspicious. Like, why um, why are they just because you always hear these same explanations that it's more expensive to build to right. this than to right. build new. Now that's not taking into account you know, the calculation of the carbon, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or you hear that it's obsolete, you know, that there's no way it can work because it's obsolete. But what, I mean, people use buildings that are 200 years old, 300 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is possible. So anyway, I wanted to explore this more intellectually, like, you know, these different um, methods. So of, of caring for older buildings mm. or changing them and not necessarily in the preservation mode. Just, I'm just talking about like starting with what's already there. So that that's also part of what I was saying in the beginning of the book. There's, it, we don't have to define architecture so narrowly. And I, I think most architects know this, of course, because a lot of architects are doing renovations, but you, you have this, this group of architects that are really the most well-known ones and mm-hmm. they are most well-known for their brand new, brand new buildings, of course. And it's yeah. great. I mean, I, I like doing that too, but I, I just think that <laughs> it, it, there, there's a whole range of things that, that we can do that are impactful and yeah, yeah, I I agree with that a hundred percent. I was thinking about uh, this. This might be a better way to ask the question that I was trying to ask earlier about architecture as a medium. Actually, hearing you talk about you know the reuse or or, or revitalization of old buildings, that it doesn't always have to be something new. Um, and in preparing for this and thinking about you and thinking about this conversation, I obviously was also thinking about OMA and I had Rainier de Graff on the show a couple of years ago uh, to talk about ammo and the research arm. And, and he talked about, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, that, uh, that ammo in many ways was a way to kind of monetize their research um, and, and that they could clients could hire them and not necessarily build a building. And I know you spent some time at OMA and, and like we can or cannot talk about that. Like uh, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is directly related to your experience there, but I'm interested in, do you ha- also have clients come to you who say we want a new building? And then when you get into the research, <laughs> I hope this isn't a reductive question. You get into the research and you're like, actually, it's not a new building. 
that you need. It's something else. It's it's this. It's reusing what you have. It's some sort of you know campaign here. How how does that kind of happen in the studio? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't think that we've we have had um, people come to us to um, do an analysis, you know, which is mm-hmm. like research of of what's there, what what how to especially with something that's as um, big as a campus. Um, right. And, um, and, and I'm not sure if they're the research that, that we do, I, it, it wouldn't have been to, as OMA said, to like monetize it. As, right. As, um, um, it's, it's a true like curiosity or something that we feel that hasn't been explored in, in an academic sense, like, you know, that this could be flushed out better. And using practice as a kind of, you know, support to an academic interest, um, but but those things, you know, they pay off in a different way, which is um, when situations arise, there's a an index inside your brain that is like, and, and not only within my brain, within our studio brain, that um, that can apply um, research that has been done to new problems. Um, and so, but so that's more how it works than the, the aspect of someone specifically coming to us, though that does happen. I, I was thinking of um, the Kresge um, UC Santa Cruz project mm. that we are working on, where we there was a, a lot of historic research about Charles Moore and mm-hmm. his um, his firm that did the Kresge College campus. And um, it was so interesting to, I didn't realize like going into that, like how much engagement that he had done with um, um, groups, student groups and and so on. So anyway, it was very interesting to analyze the buildings that were there to to see, to think about um, the way that that campus was designed and what his intentions were, and then pair that with um, looking at the the condition of the buildings, which ones could be uh, saved, mm-hmm. which ones needed serious um, modifications, and for, for ADA and other reasons. But overall, it was a very strong research uh, project on that specific place to to make recommendations about. Um, you know how to move forward and, and and add more student housing and more amenities and for that campus. So it, it was like that was one case where it was simultaneous, like research was happening and yeah. and design propositions happening at the same time. Let me ask you this though, because it's interesting in almost everything that I read about you in preparing for this the focus on research is so central to the <laughs> the narrative about about you and about the studio that that it is a research driven studio that the work is driven by uh, kind of theoretical ideas or intellectual ideas that research is central to the process um where where did that come from do you have a sense of where your interest in the research side or the focus on the research side uh, mm-hmm. came from in your practice well, I would say that um, 
you know, this a way of practicing that incorporates research surely was, you know, part of our method at, at, at OMA. But before that, I was at Harvard and um, in using, you know, like just in an academic sense, it's just how you start a project. Um, and so it's second nature. But um, I think you also to have research be meaningful um it it's like it it's ongoing it doesn't just stop mm-hmm. with the project so um there's this sense of um you know collecting information and organizing that information which is something that we do at the studio um and that is makes it more accessible for people to to tap into that knowledge it's it's about I, I often think of it like it's a love of knowledge. It's a love of knowledge right. that is driving that um, approach, you know? And um, when you just, if you don't know the answer, like, and you want to know, like that's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, that's really at the core. And I think, you know, I'm not the, I'm not unique in that, but mm-hmm. I certainly have it strongly. And then, you know, others that have it are drawn to us and, and it's so different than um, just wanting to um, stylize things, I guess. I mean, I'm trying to think of the, yeah, the yeah. approach, the opposite approach of that. It's, um yeah. I mean, it's not just, for, it's not just formal, right? You know, it's, um, right. It's, it's finding those things that resonate and are relevant and, um, just that, that touch on lots of different areas of knowledge and, um, mm-hmm. and try to make sense out of patterns that are exist in the world, <laughs> yeah. behavior patterns or, or formal, pa- you know, patterns like why, do trees um, branch out the way that they do, or you know, yeah. bark, or or whatever? It could be something that's like a visual, but it also could be something like, you know, what's the root cause of why this neighborhood is is uh, vacant, and you know, th- those kinds of things. I'm I'm curious how you. I mean, I imagine now that that the studio is well known enough that you attract a particular type of applicant uh, who who wants to work for you. But I'm I'm interested, kind of, when you were starting out and as you were growing the studio, how you fostered a studio culture that encouraged that type of curiosity. Because I imagine that not every architecture studio allows for that kind of freedom. And, and that's something that seems very particular to, to you also. And you're talking about your love of knowledge and you know these things you're thinking about. How do you kind of externalize that to make that something that, that everybody participates in the studio? Oh, that's a, that's a really interesting question because um, if you think about it, there's, there's big things and small things. I mean, there are... Um, you would see in the studio collections of, you know, images of whales and <laughs> sizes of them and, and okay. um, or the, the, like an experiment on the rooftop with, that goes longer year after year, one day a year where we do a bio blitz to um, see how many different species are up there. Or it could be a 
a materiality experiment going on. So there's a lot of things like that going on. Um, there's book clubs. There are, um, mm. you know, there's a bibliography for every project that gives a list of. Oh, that's a great idea. Topics. Yeah. So there's a lot of th- little things going on like that. There's just, you know, just a, talking about things in the studio when you're talking about design, how does it, you know, wh- how do we usually try to define what is the the significant question for the project? Like what, what could it move? What is this project? What's the essence of it? You know? And so there's a lot of things like that, that um, bring it out. And then there are, um, I think, yeah. So I think people are drawn to, to that. There are probably talking with other people that work there and um or you know they might have students or things like that but um it it ends up you end up every office has their own culture and it's like that that kind of is ours we also do like an outing and every year um before covid mm. you know every summer go to like a camp to <laughs> to be right, yeah. And, and those are, you know, like all those are experiences. Experience is really important. And, and then trying to keep the culture, identifying what it is and trying to maintain it in different ways. And people take on parts themselves. I mean, it's not all me. It's definitely not. It's like people that are, um, you know, organizing the, the lunches we have together, our office lunches, just, just to eat together or, um, mm-hmm. you know, different aspects are just completely taken on by different people, like the book club, for example. And, um, and that, that kind of, you have, you have to kind of know your culture and, yeah. and to nurture it because things change, the pe- people change, come in and out, it grows, it shrinks. And so you want to hang on to the good things and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 interesting too that I mean I, I've heard you make the joke before that obviously Studio Gang is your name, but also the idea of a gang. Uh yeah. you know, it's somewhat of a collective. And it's interesting to hear that so many of these things are kind of self-organizing or organized at kind of, you know, any any level in the studio. And this is a weird question, but you know, how do you position yourself in in a studio like that that is that is named after you, and that you you are in, in some ways the face of it, but that somebody new can come in at any level in the studio and feel kind of empowered to participate in these, to bring ideas, to be curious that it's that it it isn't this kind of hierarchical structure that we often hear about in in architecture studios, especially. Right. Yeah. Like that's something that's really important to me. And I, I want to maintain that. And of course that, that can, if, as you grow in size, that can, it needs more structure and that can get, you know, lost. So you have to constantly maintain it. Um, I, I should say though, because we've been talking about all this peripheral things, not really peripheral, but not exactly 90% of the work, which is <laughs> yeah. doing um, the drawings and doing, um, but there's this level of craft in that that is 
also something that, I mean, it takes more patience. Like, like I was saying, this experiment yeah. on our roof is once a year, we've done it for five years and it's ongoing and, and it, that takes patience. Doing a project takes patience because it can go on for more than one year. It, will, it could go on for four years. And, mm-hmm. um, but every single aspect of it has different things that you gain knowledge of and, 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 um, skill in and experience in and so that that patience it's patience but it's also like i like how architecture is always revealing new things that need to be known <laughs> like um yeah it, it never ends i mean i learn things all the time it's it never ends so it's it's really a great i love it so much because it's just it has all that topper but it does take it's harder. I've noticed, you know, because when people first come out of school, they're like, "Yeah, this, this is, this is the firm," and and you're used to doing in school mm-hmm. like a project every semester, and this is right. like this is a project that you know is ongoing. But it, it's worth the wait, and it's worth the you know perseverance, and you and you get these different phases of it. But mm-hmm. um, it is something that is. Um, you know, a big part of what we're doing is like putting together and putting together this set of drawings that describes it's modeling, it's drawing, it's, it's describing this real thing that's going to, you know, start showing up in real life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to look at every little, every corner of it, every inch of it. And it's, and there's a craft and skill to that that is beautiful, and it's it's, you know, it's really the it's the essence of what architecture is, I think. And um, I know a lot of yeah. peers are like peer like peers, other architects that are doing a lot of work in widespread areas geographically. You know, they don't always do their own drawings anymore because mm. they are really more art directing it. And, um, and then we, we decided we were going to continue to keep this knowledge in within our, mm. um, so it, like I said, it's another aspect of our office. I think that it's part of the culture that's like a respect for every phase of this project. And yeah. It, yeah. Not to say that we don't collaborate with other people sometimes and, <laughs> And work and and share that responsibility sometimes, but we definitely value that um, skill and try to maintain it within. Yeah, no, I love that. It's it's really interesting too. I mean, again, I'm I'm speaking from a, a graphic design perspective, but from what I understand, architecture studios are very similar where it's like you know you come in at a low level and you do this kind of work that maybe is needed but isn't valued as much and then you you work your way up to to doing kind of more creative stuff and then you get to one level where you're kind of not doing that anymore and you're just overseeing everything in this this kind of flatter system that respects every part of the process and empowers every part of the process seems um really nice <laughs> yeah it is. It's like, I mean, you've got to love what you do every day, you know, like, um, yeah. and if there's, if you can identify the design aspect of those other parts, whether, even if it's, um, a technical 
um, aspect. Um, they're designed yeah. to be sure. And, and like, those are fun to discuss with the group. Yeah. And, and that goes back to kind of how we started this conversation in many ways is that, that the, the design, the architecture itself, isn't just the building of the building or the design of the building. It is the, the negotiating of the space. It's the working with the clients. It's the research. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that collaboration. All of that is architecture. Yep, that's so true. Yes. I have, I have just a couple questions. Um, to begin to wrap up, but building off of what we were just talking about, and you had mentioned your work at, at the GSD earlier, I'm interested in how these ideas uh, manifest themselves in the classroom. Are you also thinking about uh, research, curiosity, you know, this craftsmanship, kind of thinking long-term, kind of following interests, community? How does that happen in a classroom setting? Mm. Well, you know, a lot of times, the, well, of course, you have a shorter period of study. So, um, but a lot of times I've been trying to bring in as many aspects as possible to a studio project, like, you know, even in, with engaging with um, different um, users or stakeholders of the future project, um, trying to um, talk with real people that normally, you know, you don't have time to do but we've been trying to bring that mm. to the studio projects and also touch on multiple subject matters like climate mm. change, um, um, rising waters, um, the, the topic of the, of the program of a project. Um, and, and, and what I found is like just giving the students um, as much like kind of like everything and <laughs> they can start to hone in on what is more interesting to them of the many, like the constellation of contingent elements of any project. And so right. it's, it's giving, I'm trying to help the students to um, identify what they are interested in instead of, and, and showing that that it's more of a, you know, it's, it's really demonstrating more of a process of like this openness of mm -hmm. approach um, as opposed to trying to teach them how I do, you know, my, right. my formal, um, although the, right. we're going to get some of that because I'm critiquing too, but, and then they also bring things back that are interesting to them that, that are, there are things that they discovered that are not necessarily what I put into the so, so I, I really like that back and forth and um, I'm really trying to convey like, you know, the process of design um, on this in the way that I think about it, which is very broad to start out with and you <clears throat> zoom into, um, you know, the, the aspect that's yeah. the key kernel of it. Uh, speaking of you encouraging the students to kind of find their interests or bring their interests into the the design process what are uh what are your interests right now like what are the things that are top of mind for you that you're thinking about a lot well it's you know it's the big the biggest zoomed out biggest things are <laughs> climate change and and the social inequity and yeah and those are those are probably going to be still you know the top category for, for some time to come 
um, probably just my whole lifetime. I don't know. But, um, um, and then, you know, like the, these really trying to, um, um, there's an aspect that I'm interested in about this type of city that is experiencing, um, I guess, blight or loss of fabric, building fabric and, mm. and, and people like those kinds of, from an urban perspective, those kinds of areas that are kind of oftentimes written off, but there are actually very vibrant things going on in these areas. And, and so our, our urban practice has been looking for um, ways to um, activate and knit back together some of these types of places. Um, and then, um, of course, I'm, I'm really looking from a philosophical perspective, like how to, what is going on in the world politically and how does it, how can we reframe um, our work to, um, Mm. to, to, and and position it to be powerful and, and bring important questions. These are just big things that I'm thinking about, like in that sense, um, you know, that this, the, the, after, you know, after modernity and as the, as the planet moved toward globalization, like what, what were the positive and negative things that that came Mm -hmm. out of that? And then like, how can we reset or where should Mm. we set our sights um, to, to make positive change toward the first two things, climate change and and equity. Yeah. So those are kind of big things I'm thinking about and just reading, you know, and, and um, discussing and thinking about those things. Um, And then on a more material level, I think um, I'm really just continue to be interested in um, wood construction and Mm, how to um, utilize this incredible material, um, but also um, like maybe other materials that could also be carbon sequestering. and those are kind of interesting things on the horizon that are, you know, being used now, but but are being pushed. I can I just say that I loved that answer because it it was like such a great example of what you've been talking about this whole conversation of kind of valuing both the research and the intellectual, but also the practical. You know, also the the craftsmanship. And that the, when I asked you what you were thinking about, you gave. Uh, the answer of these, you know, big issues, climate change, social inequality, but then also wood construction. (laughs) It's like, it just fully embodies how you've articulated your practice. You just answered it in that one question. (laughs) Uh, Uh, My, uh, my last question, and this is the question that I used to end every conversation. And I I have a sense this might be a hard question now after the previous question. Um, What are you reading right now? Oh, um, I, well, I'm, believe it or not, I'm reading um, the and Marcus Aurelius's um, Meditations. Oh, nice. <laughs> but um, what's amazing just about that is just the way that he is appreciating 
people mm. in his life. It, it's so beautiful. It really is. Um, like, that's all it is. It's just a, like appreciation of <laughs> this person for this reason. Yeah. It's so wonderful. But um, that was just because I grabbed uh, that book. I, you know, on, on I was heading out and I, I couldn't put it down. And then. Um, that it's so funny you say that because in the last week that has started showing up on my Kindle as like my most recommended, like I should read that next. Oh, um, just, just recently. So maybe I, maybe I should I pick it up now. You were Googling me and they know. Who <laughs> <laughs> right. That's weird. That, that, is, that was it. Okay. No, but the new, I think a new, um, um, what do you call it? A new edition came out recently. Oh, oh, that could, that, that edition, but it's the same book. Okay. But okay. someone published it recently. So maybe that's why, but that's really good. Okay. I, I recommend it. But, um, um, then, um, I'm also, you know, following and reading Bruno Latour as he, mm. um, his latest, um, works. Um, and then, um, like for fiction, I'm reading, um, books. Well, I'm trying to read a, a number of books about this region that I'm, um, visiting right now in, well, you know, mm. going between, um, North Carolina and, and Chicago. And so I'm been reading a, about this place in North Carolina. So, um, mm. kind of range but i'm the type of person that has a bunch of like stack on the side of the bed and i you know i'm reading like, i had a feeling yeah read a little of this and a little of that and not exactly plowing through one full book so that's i mean in a way it's a very bad habit but um it doesn't surprise me at all i don't i mean i don't know you really at all other than this conversation but that seems right <laughs> Uh, I also love that you, in research for projects, that you read fiction and nonfiction. I think that's really nice, a really nice practice. Yeah, it's, and novelists and are um, sometimes truer than, than reality. And, you know, that's, um, and I love stories and the narrative of, of um, the narrative arc of a story. Um well done and i mean i think i think that's such a nice way to to wrap up this conversation uh i'm a i'm a big fan of your work and how you think about your work and how you approach your work and it was really nice to just kind of pick your brain about how how you kind of work through these issues and and deal with them in the studio thank you so much for uh for being on the podcast thank you so much Derek. it was it was my pleasure i really enjoyed it this episode was recorded on January 12th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.